I'm Carlo, Carlo Pietro Sanfilippo, and this is my podcast. With this project, I want to explore the means, methods, tools, and examples of living on purpose, living the life we want, doing the things that light us up, things that make us feel like we're alive, growing, making a difference, and enjoying the process along the way. Welcome to It's the Journey. Hello, my friends, and welcome back to It's the Journey. Believe it or not, this is my 10th episode. So many of you I know are regular listeners, and I thank you. Thanks for coming back. Thanks for the kind words. Thanks for spreading the word. Thanks for the reviews and everything. But again, it's hard for me to believe that we're already here at number 10, given that this was an idea that started uh, as a thought more than three years ago that originally I was going to do something with my financial planning practice, worked with the compliance department off and on to try to figure out how to do it, realizing that since my subject was more broad in nature and not specific to finances or investments, they suggested I do this as an outside business activity, which at first was annoying, but then exciting because it opened it up a little, it opened it up to things like we'll do today. But, um, but then I realized, you know, when my field, the field was so open, I didn't have a focus. So brainstorm, 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 talk with friends, got some ideas, decided to write a book. And two years later, the book came into the world and the book and the podcast are now live and real things. And that is exciting. So again, if you've got ideas that are bubbling in your head, don't be afraid to keep pursuing them. Keep pursuing them. If you don't know the outcome, just keep Keep it up. Take small steps. Say yes. Read a book. Watch a video. You don't know how it will come along if you keep keep taking steps in that direction. So with today's episode, I want to do something I've been thinking about for a while, which is another solo episode. I haven't done one since my first one. And with this one, I want to dive into a subject I wanted, to start a, I wanted to start diving into looking at people's lives I'm curious about and interested in. And since this is Women's History Month, Women's History Month, I can do that. I'm going to talk about Artemisia Gentileschi. So let's talk about Artemisia. She was a Roman Baroque painter born in 1593. Before I go any further, I want to make the caveat, disclaimer, I, Carlo Sanfilippo, am not a historian. I am not an art historian. This is not my field of expertise. It's something I'm curious about, interested in, and just want to dive into. If you are an expert on Artemisia and you would love to come in and dive into this further with me, please reach out at carlo at carloblog.com. Disclaimer over. Okay, back to Artemisia. Born 1593, her father, Orazio Gentileschi, was also a painter. Um, she was the first born of her family. And one of the things I'm most curious, curious about is how, as a woman in the 15 and 1600s, did her father take the time to educate her to be a painter and educator to read and write. Um, that's just, I don't, 
you know, getting an education has not been a priority for women all the way up into modern times. My mom was the only one of five children who got a scholarship and her parents didn't let her go to college because they said women don't need to go to college. And this was in the 1950s, not 16 whatever when she was, when she was growing up. Incredible, incredible. So I don't know a lot about, I, didn't, I haven't read a biography about her father, just know a little bit about him because of things I've read about uh, um, Artemisia and things I've read about her, her father's friend, Caravaggio, because apparently they were buddies and hung out together and even ended up in court together for libel against another artist. And um, eventually I will do a Caravaggio episode or multiple ones, and we can talk about that then. But what's, it, it is relevant that they were friends because Caravaggio impacted Orazio and that also ultimately impacted Aramisia in terms of skill and technique not skill, but technique and uh, subject matter. So Artemisia grew up, her mother died when she was 12. So again, even though the mother was gone, her father kept training and educating her um, into, until she grew up. Um, sadly, uh, an, an event that, that happened that impacted her was that when she was 17, you know, a lot of men coming in and out of the house, she was unfortunately raped and not uncommon at that time as it is now a lot of times the women are treated as the one that are guilty and suspect um, now we don't do that anymore but in the sense of what happened to her was you know, she was physically tortured you know by the by the church they put her hand in one of those devices and squeezed her fingers to really just make sure she was able to tell that she was telling the truth. And imagine being an artist and watching your hands be crushed. Um, I don't know that that, she, I mean, she painted until she was, she lived until be her 60s. So it must not have been permanent, you know, de debilitating damage, but good gosh, you know, just the, the pain of it and then the stress and worrying, am I, you know, am I not going to be able to do my career anymore? Horrible, horrible, horrible. And even after that, and then the terrible, examinations she was put through to determine was she really not a virgin anymore. Uh, even after all that, and then some other crimes that this guy committed, he was found guilty, but nothing really happened. So she's 17 when, all, when she went through all that. I think the earliest painting we know of her is when, from when she was 19. When she was just 20, she painted her first Judith and Holofernes that we know of. And for those who don't know your Bible history, uh, that's the story of when the King Nebuchadnezzar sent his armies into Israel to conquer. And the general of Nebuchadnezzar's army was Holofernes. Holofernes came and conquered. And I think the story is that Judith's husband died in those wars or battles. And she, to get her revenge, uh, seduced, got seduced uh, Holofernes, got him drunk, and then in his weakened state, cut his head off. So what's relevant about, about that is that that subject had been painted many, many times. And um, the ones I've seen pre-Caravaggio where, you know, Judith was painted in a very dainty way, 
the, the, the deed was already done. It was like the head was on the ground or in a bag or, you know, she was, didn't look like she had actually done that or was even remotely capable of doing something like that. If there was a sword, you know, it was there in the picture or maybe she was holding it, but with just like the tips of her fingers with her pinky sticking up in a very dainty way that looked like she never had touched a sword before and you didn't really believe she was capable of doing what was supposed to have happened. Now, Caravaggio, he liked to show the action while it was happening. But again, Judith didn't look very realistic. So then this, this was a well-known painting. It was a well-known thing. His style was known. So then uh, Artemisia comes along and does that same subject, same act, but puts herself in place of Judith and her rapist in place of Holofernes with the same, if not even more, violence of, of blood and him writhing and the, the handmaid holding him down. And, you know, the women looked, didn't look dainty. They looked strong. They looked like they could handle him. They didn't, you know, didn't look like he was passed out. He was big, strong guy, strong, powerful women doing the deed. So, yeah, that's the thing about that is like in his life and his time, she painted his face on there and her face. And again, imagine imagine that being done in today's day and age. Very, very powerful. And so again, throughout her lifetime, she painted, she supported herself. I think after you know a number of years in Rome, then she married some man in Florence. He was also a painter, but from when I've, I don't know that they didn't have a great marriage, but she she was became more famous and more in demand. And so she started getting jobs around Europe and left with their daughter. Um, but before she did leave, she was uh, admitted to the I'm gonna I'm gonna look this name up so I don't get it wrong. The Academy of the Arts of Drawing an academy founded by Cosimo de' Medici, the, 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 the famous Medici man. He founded that uh, in 16, I'm sorry, 1563. So she was the first woman to be admitted to this organization in the 1600s in an absolute patriarch of a society. So that is incredible. And then while she was in Florence, she became friends and from the way I understand it, from the what I've read, lifelong friends and pen pals with the Galileo. So she must have been quite an incredible woman. And it's just interesting and so humanizing for those two characters to think of them being friends. These, this uh, amazing, strong, intelligent, talented artist and the premier scientist of his day who was put in prison by the by the pope for declaring that the the, the earth was not the center of our solar system uh, incredible and interesting that you know this this the uh, the people that were alive and around in that time period running around each other's circles so after Florence, I know she, she traveled up and down in the Italian peninsula in different places and doing, doing many works and doing um, often similar type subjects. She painted the Judith and Holofernes many, many times and then other um, 
works of women that were painted because of their story, not because of them being in the painting as a sex object. So obviously she kept her her focus and drive and determination in uh, being ultimately a feminist in the 1600s, centuries before the the women's movement in the in the in our in our modern world that's still unfolding. So I wanted I wanted to hit on her and her life, and then as part of that, I want to tie that back to our very museum here in St. Louis. If you're not from St. Louis, um, stick with me here. So shortly after I began to learn about many of the Italian artists, one day I was I was in the parking lot in my um, condo complex, speaking with one of my neighbors, a, a guy that used to live here who was a college professor. And he and I, in the moments we'd run into each other, would have the, the best, most fun, cool conversations. And so we were catching up on some stuff I was reading and he said, hey, if you're interested in Caravaggio, you might be into Artemisia if you haven't learned about her. And I had not. So I dove in and that's when I began my studies. And it was not long after that, that I was back at our St. Louis Art Museum, which again, if you're from St. Louis, if you visit here, we've got a great museum. We've got wonderful works representing all different time periods and cultures. And it's just a great sample of lots and lots of things. But I was in the, I went there and I was in the Italian Renaissance Baroque room. And I've been there many, many times. A lot of pieces in there I really love. And I came across a work and I looked at that and I read it. And there was her name, Artemisia. I was so, so excited. I wanted to call the room over and explain all the fun things I had learned about her because the little plaque that was by this painting and every other painting in that room said a little something about who did it and when they did it and what was the subject and maybe a couple sentences about the work. And so aside from the fact that this was Artemisia and when she did it and how old she was and it was a subject from uh, Greek mythology, it said that this painting reflects the skill learned from her father, Orazio, to paint subtle flesh tones and rich surfaces. So if you knew nothing about that time period, nothing about Artemisia, nothing about Caravaggio and her father, you'd yawn and go to the next one, unless you were just in love with what you were looking at. So that's the problem with not having an audio tour guide, is you are kind of looking at a work to see if you subjectively like the picture. That's it. Because you don't really have any context. Even whatever the little bit little bits of information are, if you're whatever the bits of information that are there are, don't give you enough to to give you any context and anything to get excited about what you're looking at. So as as this example, like um I went to the front desk and asked if there was an audio tour guide because on my recent travels to to Europe and different parts of America, that had been something that almost every museum had. And that in that moment, I realized like, oh, well, maybe maybe the St. Louis Museum has one. So I went to the front desk and they said, no, only for special exhibits sometimes. Uh, we have a docent that's here twice a week and maybe you can come back and do a tour. St. Louis, we 
absolutely have to have this. It, you know, whether it's an app. Uh, when I was in Santa Fe, New Mexico, the little bitty museum they had for George O'Keefe had an app. You went in there, you downloaded the app for free. You walked up to a painting, you pushed the number that corresponded with the, corresponded with the, the the painting, and a little voice came on and told you, you know, in this example, George O'Keefe and what was going on in her life and you know, when she painted that and where she was. And you know, if you if you were bored, you skip it and went to the next one. You could just look at the three ones that you liked the most, or you could listen to the whole thing and get a better understanding of this artist's life. And in a, in a museum like ours, uh, it's not dedicated to one artist, but uh, it would be more like going to any other major city's museum where there's a huge collection. So um, Rick Steves has great examples of these for not only museums, but virtually every touristic planet kind of place you'd want to go to in Europe, churches, museums, the Grand Canal in Venice, the Forum in Rome, the Colosseum, just walking tours where he's in your ear telling you what to see. So I would, I would love that if that, that we had an audio tour guide that started outside the museum and looked out over the Grand Basin and told you about the history of the World's Fair and what it would have looked like then and, and why this this building had been built for the World's Fair and was one of the few permanent structures that's still there. That is exciting. And then this statue of St. Louis that's right outside in, in front of our um, museum. Who is he? Why is he there? What's the significance of the way that the statue is made? You know, for, for soldiers on horses, there's a significance to how many horses, how many of the horses feet are up in the air in terms of whether they died in battle or died of a natural death or whatever, you know, just something to give some context about why, why, why do we have these things and what's important about that. Um, and then you walk into the museum and you can go left or right and, and push buttons and, and learn all kinds of things, whether you want to dive into a specific subject or just learn about whatever you happen to be standing in front of. So, that is something we absolutely deserve. We have a great, wonderful museum, but the, the signs that are there don't do the works justice. They don't help you appreciate the context of what you're seeing or, you know, I, I just think we, we could do better. And that could be that could be an amazing project for WashU or SLU or them, their art departments combined with their technology departments and they could someone could come up with an app and the cool thing about apps is the numbers and the works could change as the as the as the collection rotates at a minimum the permanent objects should have descriptions and then if there are special ones that come in and out of circulation then those could be added because it's all software and you do it once and you don't have to do it again so that's what I wanted to say for this episode. Uh, this is something I'm excited about. I love art. I love history. I love learning. I love bringing historical figures to life. I love looking at their lives and learning lessons and trying to apply them to myself. And when I travel, I love getting to see the places that they stood and things that they did and things that they touched, especially, especially, especially when you get to see a work of art that is in the place it was commissioned for still, like in churches and in, in, in chapels, that it, a work by Caravaggio that was commissioned for a specific spot and is still there. That to me is really, really exciting. And often those works are free. And if you do see them for free, 
give a few coins to the church to help support that because you're looking at a priceless multi-million dollar work of art. There, there you have it. That's it. That's episode number 10. Okay. <laughs> um, I'm super excited about all the guests I have lined up coming up. I've got some great, great guests with a lot of really fun, cool stories. They will be coming out on a weekly basis. If you are enjoying this, please spread the word, share an episode, make some comments, tell your friends. Uh, I'm trying to build an audience. Nobody knows who Carlo Pietro San Filippo is. And in order to keep this going, it would be fun to have um, a bigger and bigger audience to enjoy it and grow it and do fun things. So like, share, comment, review, all those fun things. Uh, if you haven't checked out my book, go to Carlo. I'm sorry, Carlo blog.com and you can find all the information there about the book and where to buy it. And I think that's it. So whatever you're excited about, whatever you're curious about, follow that curiosity. Say yes, buy a book, read a book, look online, watch a video, do something and you will learn and grow and who knows what will come from that. So say yes to your dreams, listen to those whispers, and enjoy your journey. 